Welcome to Stress-Free IEP. You do not need to do it all alone. With your host, Francis Schefter, Principal of Schefter Law. You can get more details and catch prior episodes at www.schefterlaw.com. The Stress-Free IEP video podcast is also posted on YouTube and LinkedIn, and you can listen to episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now, here's the host of Stress-Free IEP, Francis Schefter. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. I am so excited to have somebody totally out of the ordinary on my show that I had never heard about until I met him in a networking event. So Dr. Navidi is a licensed clinical psychologist and one of the founders of GI Psychology, which is a private practice focused on helping patients with GI disorders and chronic pain. Dr. Navidi oversees the training and outreach at the practice, and he is also one of the founders and past presidents of the Northern Virginia Society of Clinical Hypnosis. So Dr. Navidi, please tell us a little bit more, like what is the whole GI disorders through psychology? How does that work? Um, and by the way, Francis, I'm so happy to be talking with you and um I, I feel like it's been too long since we talked. So this is great that we get a chance to talk more. Um, so what is this, um, you know, GI psychology stuff? Um, well, I guess uh, if I backed up for a second, I've been doing work in this area, DC metro area, for about 12 years as a, a private practice doing GI psychology work. And um, basically it is this, field that I guess um, a lot of people know about, but they don't know that they know about it. And so uh, one of the things um, that most people know about is something called irritable bowel syndrome. And so that's an example of um, what's called a disorder of gut-brain interaction. I love the name. And basically, these guys, Rome Foundation, what they do is for doctors all over the world, they set the standards for these types of disorders. And there's like, IBS is one of them, but there are 22 other disorders that they classify. And so what does that mean? Essentially, um, that means that there's, a, there's nothing structurally wrong with the person. So that um, there's not inflammation, there's not ulcers, you know, when, when someone gets diagnosed with IBS, um, what's happening is the disorder is between how the, the gut and the brain are interacting or talking with each other. And that's essentially what causes IBS, which I think even that most people don't even know. Um, right. Go ahead. I always thought it was, no, I was just going to say, you know, I always thought of it, you get, it's a, it's a medical condition and what do medical doctors do? They throw drugs at it. And what do drugs do? Give you side effects and yeah. they might cover the symptoms, but they don't get at the source. And, and with IBS and, and all these other, they're called DGBIs, so disorders of gut brain interaction. Um, the, the medications don't even really do all that much. Um, you know, and so what often, so let's, let's go to like little kids, right? So what happens with the little kids? They'll, they'll get IBS or they'll get what's called functional abdominal pain. 
That means they're getting abdominal pain and nobody can find a reason for it. Um, they might get nausea. Often it, it'll happen um, kind of in relation to stressful events. So maybe Sunday or Monday morning. Monday morning is a real common one. Um, the stomach hurts. They feel nauseous. Um, and then you take them to the doctor and the doctor doesn't find anything. Um, and so the diagnosis would be like functional abdominal pain or IBS or something like that. And that's in this broad category that I mentioned of DGBIs. So this is a lot of talking to say like, um, sadly, most people don't realize that there are amazing treatments for these problems that are not well known, but are very well researched. And that's the key part to it. Meaning, um, let's take IBS um, as an example. There's now going on close to 40 years of research showing that behavioral health treatments, that means a therapist like myself, who's very like specially trained, um, those types of treatments um, for, for close to 40 years now have been shown to be effective, 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 effective. And at really crazy high rates, like I mean, um, 85% effectiveness, meaning um, if patients do their, you know, eight to 10 sessions, 85% of them are going to reach their treatment goals, which is so Huge. high. Yeah. And then you said eight to 10 sessions. So this isn't even like that you have to go every week for the rest of your life. Like eight to 10 sessions can make a difference. Wow. Yeah. I know, like, I know a lot of times people like anxiety is high right now that I'm seeing anxiety so much. Um, yeah. And I know that a lot of times anxiety comes out in stomach issues, digestive issues. Yes. Um, so even if you have an anxiety diagnosis, your treatments could help with it in the sense that it's the digestive, right? There's almost, um, this is maybe a little too much, but it's like, it's almost nobody who comes in with the stomach issues who also doesn't have an anxiety disorder right. too, <laughs> right? They're highly comorbid. They, they go together a lot. Um, not now that you will run into people that don't have anxiety issues, but do have the stomach problems, but they're the minority. Um, and so, what I tell people is, look, even if you have a therapist and you're working on the anxiety already, come see us. We play well with others, meaning we can do this treatment while you're in therapy and, um, you know, do your 10 sessions and the, the positive response rate is really high. And then the side effect is that the patients will learn additional affect regulation skills. Affect regulation is just the ability to calm themselves down. Which, I mean, to me, it, it, why wouldn't you try it? You know, <laughs> like, what are the side effects? You know, eight to 10 sessions, like how often do we go to the doctor and they prescribe this drug and it makes us even sicker or does this and what we go through financially, emotionally, physically, this sounds like an easy, almost no brainer of why people wouldn't try it. And that's, and that's essentially why I started the practice. So I've been doing this on my own, but you know, I was full, I was full. There were, you know, there weren't any more hours in the day I could see patients. Um, but there's so many patients with these problems 
And, um, and so what we did was we started <clears throat> about three years ago, we started the bigger practice. And so I've been training and then getting the word out because the other part of the problem is, um, well, there aren't enough trained people to do it. So we're trying to fix that by training more people. And then the other side is like, is professionals don't know about it. And then the patients and the parents themselves don't even know that there's help out there. For these right. problems. Which is part of the reason for the show is to let the community know like, Hey, we're out here. We could, there's people that can help. You don't have to, you know, do this alone. You know, um, you don't need to do it all alone. There's other people. Um, so I know like for me, a lot of times, I, I mean, you can imagine for adults, for everyone, like with GI issues that you're not wanting to go to work. And especially for our children that they don't want to go to school because mm -hmm. obviously if they're in pain or if they have to go to the bathroom more or whatever else, like what, what do you see or like, how does that work? Yeah. So disorders like this frequently play into um, school refusal and you can understand why. So uh, let's say you have a kid who um, develops some GI issue, right? And then they start missing some school. And then um, they're falling behind. And I haven't really talked about the model of like how this all works, like how the problem actually works. But let's just say that um, anxiety feeds into this system and it's gonna create more symptoms. And so what happens after we miss a little bit of school is we've got a lot of work to catch up on. And you go back and it's more stressful. And then if you've already got a kid who's a little anxious about school anyway, what happens with anxiety when we avoid something? When we try to come back to it, there's even more anxiety. Okay. And so there's these you know, terrible spirals that these kids get into where it gets harder and harder for them to get to school. There's more and more barriers. So now they're facing all this anxiety about going to school in addition to stomach problems or, you know, like uh, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, sometimes vomiting. Um, could you imagine you've already got anxiety, but now you, in addition, you've got fear of like having to go to the bathroom or like, you know, like all kinds of yeah. stuff. Um, it just feeds on itself in a really nasty way. So um, some of the most difficult school refusal um, patients to work with are those that also have this physical component in addition to the mental health component. Got it. And that's, right, like I, that's the first thing I said is I can imagine the anxiety if you have digestive disorders walking into school of, you know, oh my God, am I going to make it to the bathroom on time? Is the teacher going to let me go? Am I going to get, you know, just like, and is it the child even available for learning if they're in that much pain? Um, you know, right. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I know I was just going to say, and I know we've talked about it because there's like lots of different methods that you can get in school of the, you know, we can get a health plan put in place. We can get a 504 plan put in place. We can get an IEP put in place if there needs specialized instruction and other issues. But even with all those accommodations, I don't see how it's going to help that much. Well, I mean, it'll help, obviously, but then you're still getting that spiral effect of missing the instruction. Yeah, you, you gotta, you, the IEP is so important. The 504 is so important. Getting a good plan is very important. 
and you still have to do something to interrupt the spiral. Um, because if you don't, what happens is over time, these things tend to build. There's a, there's kind of this negative momentum that can occur. Um, you know, it's like, it gets easier and easier to miss school and harder and harder to come back. And I can give you a, like a little example, of course, changing details to protect the innocent. Um, uh, there's a young lady that I just started to see over the summer and she had, um, when she came to see me, she hadn't been really to school in two years. Yeah. Right. Um, and the reason was um, a mixture of various physical um, things that were very responsive to stress. So GI, and, and that's the other thing to know, a lot of these patients, it's not even just GI. Sometimes it's GI issues plus chronic headache, plus sometimes it's brain fog or musculoskeletal pain that they can't find any reason for. And so what they found is that, you know, certain types of people, certain types of kids are just more prone to these types of problems. So could you imagine it's not even just <clears throat> the GI stuff, it's like chronic headaches and brain fog and trouble sleeping and well, whatever. I was going to say, I would think that all of that connects because I know for me, at least, if I don't eat enough or if I don't drink enough, I have the brain fog and the, you know, headaches and all of that stuff. So if you're not, if you're having digestive issues, chances are you're not getting the nutrients, what your body needs and it all, right. you know, which comes first, who cares? They're all there. Let's fix it all. Right. And you could think of, you know, these GI disorders I'm talking about as um, kind of brain body a smaller, a subset of brain body disorders. Disorders where the brain and the body are interacting in such a way that it's causing problems. And that's one kind of category, but there are other categories of this can happen with pain, with chronic pain. There's nothing wrong with the body, but the, but the pain is 100% real, being created by the interaction of the brain and the body. Um, I, I told you I just came back from a conference in um, in Louisville, right? And the whole conference was just physical therapists, but it was physical therapists specializing <clears throat> in chronic pain. And so this is what we we're talking about the whole time, you know, um, is the various ways that the brain and the body can interact to create chronic pain even when there's no damage to the system, even when their muscles aren't damaged, their tendons are fine. Um, and that's a whole other subject, right? But we're talking, so just to understand that this happens all the time and it happens a lot with kids too. And that was gonna be my next question. Like as adults or even, you know, some teenagers and stuff, we can say like, I'm nauseous, I'm sick. Um, and I know being a parent of young children, the young kids say, I have a stomach ache. You know, is the, the child really have a stomach ache or they just don't want to go to school for a reason and all of that. Right. Are there are there like ways to to flesh that out as a parent, like to see like yeah. when do they need to call you? What are they looking for? So uh, typically people will come to us, will follow kind of this sequence. They'll notice that their kid 
starts having, let's say, stomach aches. Um, but it's not happening enough that they just kind of, it's in the back of their mind. They're like, huh. Um, and then something happens. Maybe there's a stressful event. Maybe there isn't even a stressful event, but often there is. Often there is a stressful event. Problems at school, you know, some kind of difficulty in the home, whatever. And now those stomach aches are ramping up. They're much more frequent. And maybe the kid is missing a little bit of school. And so they go, they start that process of going to the pediatrician. The pediatrician checks it out. I don't see anything wrong. They give them another month or two. The stomach aches continue. Then they go to the gastroenterologist. Gastroenterologist checks them out. We're not seeing anything wrong. This is good news. Um, it looks like maybe they've got functional abdominal pain or IBS. And at the point when the doctor can conclude that there's nothing dangerous happening in the body, because uh, what they have to do is eliminate the the alarm. Um, like uh, there's certain diagnoses that can also have stomach aches um, that are kind of scary and dangerous. And then right. doctor's job is always to eliminate those possibilities. Once they've eliminated those possibilities, what, what people used to, what the doctors used to say is, well, I guess you'll just have to live with it. Right. You know, here, take this drug or, or this uh, supplement and maybe mess around with your diet. And none of it was particularly effective. Um, you know, and that's the point now where they can come to us. And so the, the good news is the practice is now we're like able to see patients in over 40 states, wow. including DC, Virginia, you know, Maryland. Um, it's all telehealth. And, um, you know, we've trained up a good, good crew of clinicians at this point. And does it work? I mean, I know a lot of people with therapy and stuff like say, like, how does it work with telehealth? Like, you don't know what's going on in the background. I mean, I'm assuming since it's all telehealth and you're in 40 states, it's working. But like, how does how do you overcome that fear of somebody saying my kid's not going to go if it's on camera? My kid's not going to go. And usually, you know, uh, as long as they're not super young, so like younger than six, uh, typically um the kids do just fine um in fact some of the kids are a lot better on the on camera than maybe the adults would be um and i've had certain patients that really needed to be in person and it's usually not kids <laughs> it's, it's usually usually the adults um so yeah at the beginning of the pandemic that was everybody's question like is this going to work um and what we found is that it that it does. We just you just need to kind of make sure that the kind of teach the kid what what a successful therapy look like. Find a, a non-distracting place to do it. Um, with certain kids, we'll even come up with um, kind of a a behavioral plan to help them. Like, okay. You get a point for doing, you know, participating in this way point for this. You can earn up to three points in the therapy session, and then they can exchange their points for rewards with their parents. And for some kids um, that are really distractible, that that is a great thing to do. Um, 
but we've got answers to all the kind of common problems that you'll see with kids like got an ADHD kid well my kid never pays attention um, there's there's solutions to those things we've your kid is not the first ADHD kid that we've had to work with you know Right. And I know, I know, at least for me as a parent, I'm always the strong, you know, the hardest on, on, not the hardest on my kid, but the hardest to be like, oh, no way that, you know, my kid is really bad. You can't handle it. Or, you know, that type yeah. of stuff. And so we all, yeah, yeah. Um, it, and I, you know, I just, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I think, I think that's, I love that you're bringing it up because it's so, I've, I've heard it so many times in, especially in the first session or even the cons, we had like a free consult, you know, by phone at first. And um, you'll hear that in the consult also. Well, I don't know, you know, my kid is, you know, really tough. He really doesn't want therapy, you know, like he's, or they're skeptical. Um, and you know, that gets into maybe a little bit of like what the treatments are too, like specifically. Um, but that's, I'd say it's, people are come into it a little skeptical is like the norm. Makes sense. And kids probably come into it either indifferent or slightly like annoyed. And that's also the norm. Um, and the norm is once they kind of learn about it and they start doing the treatment, that for the most part, they're on board. Like, it's rare that we get a kid that we can't engage in the treatment because they start to notice the benefits. And Immediately. Like, oh. um, relatively quickly. So I would say within maybe the fourth session, they're already starting to notice some benefits is, is probably normal. And are the sessions weekly or like every day for 10 days in a row? Like how does that, is there a specific time frame that you have to work within? Yeah, we don't like it to be too frequent. We like it to, weekly is probably the ideal and we can go to every other week. Uh, we, we want um, the patient to have time, at least a week in between sessions to kind of like put this into place. We, we give them homework, stuff to do at home, uh, to just reinforce what they're learning. Um, and so they need that time to kind of like integrate it and really learn it. So if I'm hearing correctly, it's more you all teaching the patients rather than the patients going into the like, you know, the deep, dark secrets or the stuff, the stressors and all the other stuff, the way people think therapy is. Yeah, so the what does it look like? So there's two major forms of treatment that have, like I said at the beginning, tons and tons of research, right? Um, CBT and uh, clinical hypnosis. Everybody wants to hear more about the clinical hypnosis piece. But before I jump in there, I just, I want to say a small thing on CBT, which is a lot of people know what CBT is, cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, but the important thing to understand about this kind of problem is that we're not just using kind of bread and butter CBT. Uh, like the, you know, your standard, you know, I was trained in CBT, um, you know, when I was first, you know, in my training, um, but it's, it's a specific protocols that most people aren't trained in. And I say that because I've seen so many of these types of patients 
that have been sent to regular CBT therapists, and they do good work with their anxiety or their depression, um, but what they aren't able to really help is this brain-gut problem that they have. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I know, like, with CBT, it's, you know, it's always hard. Like, we talk about all the time, like, you need to find somebody that's good. And I hate using the word good because I like to say that fits because there's lots of good therapists out there, but you just don't mesh with them. And so don't waste your time. And a good therapist, like I had a therapist tell me, a good therapist is going to check in with you. Is this still working for you? You know, there's no offense. If it's not, let's find you somebody else so that you can get the results. And the nice thing about working with kids and adolescents is, Um, after the session, they're usually not shy about telling their parents if they think it's working, if they like working with the therapist or not, you know? Um, so, you know, if, if they're, if, you know, obviously you want to give a, give it a period of time to like settle in. Um, but you know, beyond three or four sessions, if you're still hearing that from your kid, you're totally right. Like it's probably just not a right, it's not the right fit, Um, which is why I think it's nice now that we've got a lot of clinicians with a lot of different backgrounds, male and female with different kinds of trainings, um, older, younger, um, because, you know, you don't connect with everybody. It just doesn't happen. So I'm assuming, I don't want to assume, but like when somebody calls and does a consultation, do you or whoever handles that part, do they match the therapist with the kid or is it just whoever's available? Um, Good question. So not long ago when we had a ridiculous wait list, which I hated being in that situation because, um, you know, we're talking about like months for people to wait. But then we've been able to hire and train. Um, so now we have like very little wait list. So that's, so that's really good. And that also gives us the ability to kind of match a lot closer. Like, oh, okay, they've got this issue. And, and we know that Sam is really good with that. Or, you know, Deanna is good with this other thing. You know, so, and what, but when we had the really bad wait list, it was a lot harder to do that. Um, just because like, okay, you've waited two months already. Do you want to wait another two months to get this, like the perfect match? Or maybe this would just be good enough to make it work, right? Like maybe the, we can make the match work. And so we don't have to do that right now, which is nice. We can kind of get the perfect match. But I'm assuming it doesn't is the like is the program so i know you said eight to ten like what is the method like what do you go into um like to the extent that you can because i'm sure it's individualized but like yeah. does it really matter if your person is trained in the other stuff or can anybody handle it that's true um so as an example um let's say you've got a patient with trauma right um if they have a trauma therapist already somebody they're working with. Um, The person they're working with for the GI stuff in our group doesn't necessarily need to be an expert on working with trauma. Um, 
they just need to be an expert on doing this these treatments. And then they're going to coordinate with the trauma therapist to make sure that we're, you know, not getting in each other's way. Um, does that make sense? Oh, 100 percent. And then you're working together because, yes, because that's that, that's one of the yeah. big things is we're a community. And if we're not all talking, then yeah. we're overriding what somebody else might be doing. And so the community. So you guys work together. I love that. And then, of course, you know, I was going to circle back to because I'm sure all the listeners are like hypnosis. How does that work? What you know, what's that? Does that work? You know, and so forth. I, and I love being able to talk about hypnosis because. Um, it's kind of a side mission of mine to work to dispel some of the myths that are out there because um, I think it's a terrible shame that you've got clinical hypnosis, which has, I mean, ridiculous amounts of research associated to it. I mean, I'd encourage this would take people about 20 seconds. Go into a website called PubMed PubMed is available to everyone out there. You can all just like type in PubMed into Google. Go into PubMed and just type hypnosis and let's say IBS or hypnosis and chronic pain, hypnosis, depression. Um, in essence, hypnosis has been, there's, there's, been studied so much, but what everyone knows about is not clinical hypnosis. What everyone knows about is entertainment hypnosis right and there is the problem right because what does entertainment hypnosis teach us you know like every year there's a new movie coming out that's either like scary or funny and goofy um but there's um, there's no movies coming out that show like an accurate view of like what hypnosis is um, that's not what people are getting. People are getting mind control and magic and, you know, weird stuff, you know? Very different. And so for clinical hypnosis, is that like, is there a certification? Is there a license for that? Yeah. So there's specific. Um, so if I'm talking to the other therapists out there in the world, right there, um, or even actually no parents, uh, patients who are looking for someone to to do hypnosis for them as part of their treatment, don't just go to anybody. Don't go to just anybody who's got, you know, some kind of random training in it. There's a very, very good organization. It only trains clinicians to do clinical hypnosis because there's a lot of places out there that will train uh, an accountant, a lawyer, a construction worker, Literally anybody who walks in the door can get trained in hypnosis and, and have an official, there'll be an official hypnotherapist, right? And that's why I say to people, I'm not a hypnotherapist. I'm a clinical psychologist um, who is trained to use clinical hypnosis in therapy. Which is a big difference. And it's, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is that people always say, you know, advocate or an attorney, advocate or attorney. Um, and, it, you know, it's the same thing with an attorney. You know, they know the laws, you know, we're certified and there's repercussions if we screw up with an yeah. advocate. Any anybody can say they're an advocate, a parent that's done it once, a special ed teacher, not saying right. that they can't do it, but yes. you can't afford 
to waste time with those that aren't properly Cause, trained. Because we don't know the, what is the standard that they've been held to in terms of their training. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so the organization, before I, before we get lost in that, the organization that people should be looking for at least um, as a minimum for hypnosis training is the American Society for Clinical Hypnosis. So that's ASH, A-S-C-H dot net. Um, and every one of our clinicians are, they go through kind of um, an initial beginner's level training with ASH. And then I spend like five to six months with them, you know, training them on more advanced techniques, how to apply the cognitive behavioral therapy, how to understand the GI problems and also chronic pain. So there's, we do a lot of work. We're, we're not just like kind of bringing in therapists and just saying, go to it. We're spending a lot of time training people up. So with the ASH, is it, do you have to have some sort of background to even get into the program or is it? Yeah. So you would need to either be a psychologist, social worker, counselor, doctor. Um, I think now they let physical therapists and they're training physical therapists. And I think I'm forgetting at least one group, but these are all like nurses. I think they started training nurses now too. So people that already have degrees and are already in the field, and this is just a part of what they do. Interesting. Exactly. Yeah, because it's a big difference, you know, like what is your training? And today in today's society, you know, I have a business coach and everybody's asking, well, what coach do you use? How, you know, how do you know what's a good coach? Well, what do you want your coach to teach you? You know, what do you want your therapist to do? You want to make sure they have done it or have that background and that training um, yeah. You know, my coach has her own multi-million dollar law firm. Okay, you know, she's got the background and the training, right? <laughs> I want to follow your footsteps. And I'm assuming like with, with doctors and with, you know, with the training and stuff, you want to make sure they have the background so they know what they're doing, right? Yeah, I think I'd heard of some, there was some model uh, to treat patients like this out there that um, I think they're using health coaches. And so what is a health coach? Well, I don't know. You know, like I know they're not somebody who has any clinical degree at all. Um, I'm not even sure what kind of training goes into becoming a health coach. Um, But, you know, people are going to put their health in their hands, right? And it worries me because then somebody will say, well, I tried hypnosis. It doesn't work. Did you, you know, like, okay. All the time. Right. Yeah. I run, you know, like maybe they do, there are these stage shows that go around to colleges and school and sometimes high schools. And sometimes people go see these shows just for fun and they'll go and volunteer. And it's very different experience. Um, You know, and that gets to like, okay, well, if it's not all this mind control stuff, like what is hypnosis actually? Um, it's actually really straightforward. Um, it's just deliberately teaching people how to go into a trance state. And trance is a normal, natural state of consciousness. We all are going in and out of trance. Um, you know, I worked out this morning 
And I guarantee you at some point in that workout, I was in trance. I was in my head doing this exercise. The world around me disappeared. You know, I might not have even noticed the discomfort, right? When I was a runner, I used to call it my Zen. But I would hit the point that nothing else, like you just hit that Zen. And it was just so amazing. I miss it. (laughs) Yes. Whenever I talk with runners, they're, they're always like talking about that, that state of mind. If you're a parent and you have kids that are old enough, every parent has seen trance. All you have to do is just look at your kid when they're on their phone. Mm. That's it. You will see trance in action because everything else fades away. If you're even close to them and you talk to them, they might not even consciously pick it up, even though clearly they should be able to hear you, right? Yeah. But the point of all this is that trance is happening all the time. It's a natural state of consciousness for people. And so it's actually not particularly hard to teach people how to do it on purpose because they're already doing it accidentally. Right. And And then in trance, they're able to learn and do things that you can't necessarily learn and do in a, in your normal waking state of consciousness. Right, because we, we get in our own way. <laughs> yeah, we get in our own way, and we have a much more powerful mind-body connection when we're in trance. That makes sense. And, yeah, and the, yeah, there's so many different benefits to being in trance, being in hypnosis, um, which is why people study it so much. Like, literally, there's so many, there's so many publications out there of scientists studying hypnosis because it actually is a very powerful technique it's just not the entertainment stuff that people right. think. You're not right. making them bark like a dog or. <laughs> yeah, so you're in stuff. control. You're going to be aware of everything that happens. You're going to remember what happens. I mean, there's so many misconceptions about it. And, there, and, and we teach all our patients self-hypnosis. That's a, and, and self-hypnosis, if it's done, is an amazing skill whenever they need to calm themselves down. I use it myself all the time. Um, when I was about to give a talk um, at, in Louisville in Kentucky, right? I thought I was going to talk to 25 people. Turned yes. out to be 100 people in the big conference room, right? Wow. And, you know, like, it's a small thing, but I was like, oh, you're going to need the mic. I was like, ah, oh, God. And guess what? I, was, I started to feel anxious. You know, I found a little private place dropped in and once you learn it you can do it really quick like you can literally drop in 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 about five seconds you know take 30 seconds a minute calming yourself down come back out you're ready to roll it's it's similar yeah yeah it's a great i was just going to say it's similar to alexandra technique that physical therapists use uh the ready list it sounds like you know it's very similar in that it's just taking those few minutes to get within yourself almost. Yes, exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, this has been so amazing. So if people are afraid of the hypnosis, like are all of your treatments, are they clinical hypnosis or is it CBT or is, does it depend on the, what they want and what their needs are? Yeah. So, um, so the way like in an ideal world where, you know, someone has been educated about hypnosis, they're, they're fine with it the treatment kind of looks like this. It's like, 
CBT, clinical hypnosis are weaved in. Maybe one session will be more focused on CBT, the other is on clinical hypnosis. And and it tends to be like you want to use the CBT more if if it's someone who's got a lot of um, hypervigilance and catastrophizing. Because what happens is um, when patients start developing these disorders, they lock in and they're always scanning their stomach, trying to notice, like, how does it feel? Is it going to get worse? Like, um, what's going to happen if I'm not at home? Where's the bathroom going to be? God, I don't want to have an accident. Like, like, they're always scanning and worrying, and then they're catastrophizing about what they notice. And so if we're noticing someone who has a lot of that, then we're going to push harder on the CBT part. If if they have a lot less of that and it's just a lot of the discomfort, um, then we're going to push more on the the clinical hypnosis part. That makes sense. So it's it's tailored to each individual person. Yeah. Oh, and one thing to throw in, um, the interesting thing about this is you'd think, okay, this is a psychological treatment. All that's going to change is the psychological factors. Like, okay, I've, I've still got IBS, but at least I'm not anxious about it. I'm not worrying and all this other stuff. And maybe the pain doesn't bother me so much, right? Um, but actually, the research shows the symptoms of <clears throat> IBS might have diarrhea, it might have bloating, it might have like these different very physical symptoms. Those change too. Wow. Yeah, and that's the that's the wow for me too. It's like, look, we've got a very high percentage of people who are going to benefit tremendously from it. Uh, a, and a disorder that can last their whole life right. if, not, if not treated. Let's get them treated. They don't have to live with these things. And that's why we started the practice. It's like, look, people don't have to live with this stuff. 10 sessions, more likely than not, you're going to be good to go. Right. I mean, to me, it's like, that's why wouldn't you, you know, again, why wouldn't you? Um, so what I'm hearing, I just want to wrap up a little bit and sum, summarize a little for um, our listeners is that if your child or you are having digestive issues, anything, IBS, all of that stuff, go to the doctor, make sure it's nothing of any of those other diseases that could be bad that we don't need to name. Um, but, and then if, the doctor still, oh, it's just this, here's this drug, then they need to call your office. Correct. Yeah. Um, what we call it is they're medically cleared. They're sick. We know it's safe. We know it's not something like um, Crohn's disease or colitis, ulcerative colitis, something like that. It's not an ulcer or something. You know, we rule out those things. They're medically cleared. They're ready to go. Um, I realized I didn't even say the website. I know you'll probably link to it, but it's yes. just gipsychology.com. It's really straightforward. And I've I've mentioned a lot of research as I've been talking, but maybe you don't believe me. On the website, we link to all like a bunch of the research. They can take their time, check it out. They can do the free phone consult with a clinician to learn more and have them answer their questions. Um, because we're not not trying to sell anything we're, right. we're not trying to rush anybody we're just trying to educate yeah you want to educate and you want to help people yeah. like me you know we're there to help and to assist and to you know yeah it's not about it's about helping helping the world making it a better place 
and 100%. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been so interesting. I was so excited to have you on the show. I was like, I can't wait because I knew so little about it. So thank you so much for being on the show and all of this information um, to all of the listeners. Thank you. It was an absolute pleasure. You you made it easy. You made it easy. Um, And you do amazing work yourself. And I've I've referred patients to you already. because um, I went through a period, like I said, we were talking at the beginning. Um, I didn't even know services like yours existed. And I've had, and I'm thinking back over the years, I've had so many patients because I deal with patients with a lot of health issues, right? right. Um, could have used your help. Definitely. And I've referred to you some that are like lost with the doctors and like, you need to call, think outside of the box, call this person, they can help. Yeah or team determined. So yes, thank you. I love that we're, you know, mutually passing it back and forth to, so that everybody knows and can benefit from both of us. Because it takes a team. It yep. takes a team, 100%. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to Stress-Free IEP with your host, Francis Schefter. Remember, you do not need to do it all alone. You can reach Francis through schefterlaw.com where prior episodes are also posted. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others through YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more.